We'll turn to our master text, if you will, in the book of Luke, chapter 18, Luke 18. And uh, while you're turning there, I just want to say that we began a new series last week, as you remember, called Greater Grace, uh, Secrets to Walking in Unusual Divine Favor. Don't you like that? You want to learn how to walk in divine favor? Praise God. There are principles in the Bible that teach us how to do that. And last week, we talked a lot about pride versus humility. And we established that self-promotion leads to demotion in God's kingdom, whereas humility leads to greater grace and favor. Now, one important concept that I want to establish here before we read that master text is that pride can be very subtle and very sneaky. It can manifest in ways that we're not even aware of. So there's a, there's a genuine humility, but there's also a false humility, which is why I've entitled the teaching today, True and False Humility. So with that said, let's go ahead and read our master text. Go ahead and stand with me, if you will, and let's honor the reading of God's holy word. And this is Jesus speaking, the master. And he's telling a parable here to the crowds, and he says... To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. Hmm. And he says, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat, if you will. Praise God. Hallelujah. Well, I want to dive a little deeper into that passage. Let's examine that a little deeper here. In this text, Jesus compares a tax collector to a Pharisee. Now, Pharisees were religious leaders in ancient Israel. They were highly trained in the Old Testament scriptures, but by this time in Israel's history, uh, many of them had become deceived by a spirit of religious pride, rather than allowing the Old Testament scriptures to prick their hearts and examine their hidden motives. In, In many ways, the study of the Old Testament scriptures for the Pharisees had become purely academic rather than spiritual. Uh, Well, the Pharisees enjoyed the perks of being admired by society as as men of of great knowledge and influence and authority, Um, and that status caused some of them, not all of them, but that status caused some of them to be self-righteous and smug rather than living by the spirit of the law. So they'd see they totally missed the spirit of the Old Testament law and rather We're living by the letter of it. And, of course, I think we all know what the Bible says about the letter of the law versus the spirit of the law. The Bible says that the letter of the law kills, but the spirit, let me hear you say it, 
gives life. Exactly right. The Spirit gives life. Now let's contrast the Pharisee to the tax collector in this teaching and in Jesus' parable. So unlike the, the Pharisees, tax collectors were not admired or respected. As a matter of fact, they were hated because these were Jews who had essentially become traitors to Israel by working for Rome. Now, in, at this time in history, the empire of Rome had overtaken Israel and was now in command, and Israel had become subject to Rome, so it grieved the Jews that they had to pay taxes to Rome. But it was even more grievous to them that some Jews had sold out to Rome and were working as tax collectors, many of whom had become rich by demanding excessive taxes and pocketing the extra. So as you might imagine, tax collectors were despised not only because they were traitors, but because they were thieves. So Jesus contrasts the two, a religious leader, a Pharisee, to a despised tax collector. And in this scenario, in this scene that Jesus describes, the Pharisee prayed a self-righteous, smug prayer, which really wasn't even a prayer at all. It was just some statements of self-congratulations, right? Yet the tax collector who came to understand what a wretch he was beat his breast and begged for God's mercy, acknowledging his sinfulness before God. And Jesus said it was the tax collector, not the Pharisee, who went away justified that day. Well, the point is this. You've got to get this right here. You can look good on the outside and have all the religious trappings and, and appear to be a very righteous person, but still be bound for hell. See, we can deceive people, folks, and we can even deceive ourselves. Some of us can be self-deceived. Did you know that? But we can't deceive God. God knows our hearts. So a key concept for this morning is that our religious trappings mean nothing to God if they're not offered from hearts of true humility and adoration of God. You see, who did that Pharisee really admire? Who did that Pharisee really adore? Maybe I should say it that way. Who did that Pharisee really adore? Was it God or was it himself? <laughs> right. Clearly, he loved himself and failed to see the pride in his heart. But the tax collector came to despise himself because he saw himself in truth at this point. And he cried out to God for mercy. And Jesus said it was he, the despised tax collector, who received that mercy, not the self-righteous Pharisee. Now, folks, listen, that story is a snapshot of the gospel. A person cannot experience the grace of God at all until they have come face to face with their sin and understand their fallen, perverse self-serving nature. As long as we compare ourselves to other people and congratulate ourselves for our good deeds, we can't experience salvation because salvation doesn't come that way. It doesn't come by being good enough. Salvation comes by grace alone through faith. See, because all of us have smashed God's laws into a thousand pieces, so it's not a, God's not grading on a balance scale. 
Okay? So salvation doesn't come that way. Salvation comes by grace alone through faith. And grace, listen, grace is only applied to those who see their desperate need for it. I want to say that again. Grace is only applied to those who see their desperate need for God's grace. And those, in turn, who experience the ongoing favor of God throughout their lives are those who are constantly at war with our sin and selfishness and who recognize their influence in our lives. Now, there was a time in my life when I was a little Pharisee, I'll say it that way, you know, I was a pretty good kid all through school. I was raised in church, and I was a pretty good kid all through school. You know, I didn't drink or chew or run with the kids who do. But I was very self-righteous. I was very self-righteous. But then I had a prodigal experience in my 20s that took me down a very dark road for a number of years. And when I came back to the Lord, folks, it was like I came back to him for the first time. Because for the first time in my life, I was truly broken over my sins. For the first time in my life, I truly saw myself as a sinner deserving nothing but the judgment of God. And it was then that I truly experienced the grace and mercy of God in a very personal and special way as I came to him in repentance. And it was like the lights came on for the first time. Praise the Lord. How many of you know that you can be raised in church and still be living in darkness? Do you know that? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, with all that as a backdrop, let's go on now to talk about some other aspects of true and false humility. And in doing so, we're going to talk about some obvious and subtle forms of pride, just so we can learn to recognize these trends in our lives. And Here's a more obvious form of pride, perhaps, and that's that pride retaliates. Now, this is really good timing for this point, by the way, because this past week we got to see an actor who uh, showed his true colors at the Oscars. Was it the Oscars or the? It was the Oscars? Okay. That shows you how much I'm paying attention. We got to see an actor at the Oscars who showed his true colors when, after feeling like that his wife was insulted by a comedian on stage, he took it upon himself to take the stage and slap that comedian while the camera still rolled, and then proceeded to curse out that comedian when he sat back down. Well, that actor has come under harsh criticism for those actions, and appropriately so, I believe. You see, pride retaliates like that. But listen, humility, godly humility, is willing to take the insult graciously and then let God do the judging. Amen. Come on now. And on that point, let's look again at the example of Jesus along those lines. From 1 Peter 2, verses 21 and 23, it says, to this you were called, you and I were called to this. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. What's the example that it's talking about? Reading on. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him 
meaning the Father, God the Father, who judges justly. See, you and I can't always judge each situation accurately or justly, but God can. Okay? I read somewhere that uh, if someone insults us, an appropriate response would be, Sir, if you really knew me, you wouldn't stop there. You left some things out. Because I'm guilty of so much more than what you're saying. (laughs) Wouldn't that be a great way to diffuse an argument? I mean, who's going to continue to berate a person who won't even defend themselves, for goodness sake? But then there's some more obvious or some less obvious forms of pride. Um, Something that I'm going to call here spotlight syndrome. And this can be... um, a more subtle form of pride in some respects. See, whether we would admit it or not, most people have an insatiable desire to be noticed or admired. And this comes from the need for acceptance, by the way, uh, which is not altogether wrong. I mean, everyone wants to feel loved and respected and accepted, right? However, pride will not stop there. Pride wants not just love and acceptance, but pride needs to be admired, envied even. Pride needs to be admired and even envied. See, pride wants to one-up people. And all pride, you've got to get this right here, all pride stems from insecurity. All pride stems from insecurity. And listen, insecurity demands to be catered to even if it's at someone else's expense. You've got to get that right there. Pride and insecurity will demand to be catered to even if it's at someone else's expense. And that's why pride will put itself on display. Pride will put itself on display. And putting oneself on display, by the way, isn't just something that talented and beautiful people do. This goes on even in churches sometimes in more subtle ways in the form of false humility. False humility. Now, what is false humility? Well, look at the screen. False humility is actually pride in disguise. It clothes itself in humble religious garments or trappings, but it nevertheless is concerned only with one's appearance and reputation. In other words, look how spiritual I am, like the Pharisee. You see, many Christians put themselves on display as well in just less obvious ways. They may not command the attention of a a spotlight on the stage, but they will nevertheless um, shine a spotlight on themselves in conversation, sort of how the Pharisee did in his self-righteous prayer, right? See, many Christians may not commit the big obvious sins that that are scandalous, but they nevertheless fail to see the pride lurking underneath the surface which is equally defiling. And that pride often comes out in how we love the spotlight in conversation. (laughs) It truly does amaze me how much we love to talk about ourselves, right? Whether it's name dropping or an achievement of some sort or even a, a spiritual accomplishment or a spiritual insight. I think for most of us, uh, our favorite subject is I. 
or me. It's our favorite subject. Or at least uh, our favorite subject may be our children. And here's another more subtle characteristic of pride. As we're talking about the, the less obvious, more subtle characteristics of pride, here's another more subtle one right here, and that's that pride interrupts. Now, for these next few minutes, I'm going to be talking about some characteristics of pride that um, reveal themselves and manifest themselves in social situations. And uh, so for these next few minutes, I'm just going to be talking about some good social graces and social manners. Because, you know, a lot of these social graces and manners are being lost in contemporary society. And a lot of that has to do with talk shows and how people are just so rude to one another on some of these talk shows. And, and of course, I think it's being promoted in Hollywood and the media to a certain degree, certainly in politics. Our social graces are being eroded. And God wants us to be people who represent him well, that love one another, that exemplify the love of God and respect for people, right? So just these next few minutes, I'm going to be talking about some of these social graces and some of these less obvious forms of pride, at least in our culture. And the first one is that pride interrupts and talks over people. Now, why is that prideful? Well, first of all, because it's very inconsiderate to the person talking, but also because talking over people comes from an attitude of what I have to say is so much more important than what you have to say. See, if you want to be seen as unmannerly, then just talk over someone and interrupt them, all right? So let me give you an example of, of some good manners right here. When someone else is talking, the proper and gracious thing to do is to give them the floor and listen, okay? Resist the temptation to talk. In those cases, it's rude, okay? When, when that person pauses and there's a natural and comfortable place to speak, then you can talk. It reminds me of a story, uh, or actually an experience that I had when I was a teenager, and uh, we have family that lives in Panama City Beach, Florida, and so we go down there quite often, even now, to visit some of our family. And I remember when I was a teenager, my cousin and I went out on, on his small boat out in, in the bay, and we were feeding dolphins by hand. And I was amazed at how respectful dolphins are to one another. You know, if you have three or four dogs in front of you and you hold out, hold out some food for dogs, they'll, they'll all rush you at the same time. But with these dolphins were so polite to one another, we would hold a fish out over the edge of the boat. They would just come up and very gently take it out of our hands and then move on. And the next one in line would come up and take a fish and move on. And the next one would come. And they were so polite to one another like that, they took turns. They didn't try to all of them get to the fish at the same time. They have a social order. They have social graces. Even dolphins do. Folks, in some cases, animals are more polite than people are. And I think that's, that's what we need to do in social situations. Um, give deference to other people sometimes. Take turns. Give people their turn, you take yours. You know, I've noticed something about myself lately, and that's that I seem to have a sensory overload problem when there's more than one person talking to me at the same time. Uh, it actually causes me to get 
agitated and irritable. I'm not sure why that's the case, but I've only recently noticed that about myself, but it stems from the stress of me trying to process two or three people talking over one another and trying to give attention to multiple people at the same time. And if we're just being honest, I tend to get a little bit agitated at the inconsiderate nature of that. You know, married couples, I've noticed, do this to one another all the time, as do a lot of people in various social situations. As a matter of fact, I've sat across the table from uh, married couples, and in some cases, both of them will be talking to me at the same time, and neither one of them back down, and they just keep on talking, and because I'm trying to give both of them honor and deference and, and give them look him in the eye, it's like my head goes like this, and I'm bouncing back and forth between the two people that are talking at the same time, trying to figure out how am I going to give proper eye contact and deference to both these people who are bombarding me at the same time. So don't do that to people. That puts people in a, in a very awkward situation, and uh, in my case, that it's sensory overload, and it actually causes me to get agitated. So just be considerate of that. And uh, again, since we're talking about social graces, let me give you a, another potential pride issue here that manifests itself in sometimes not so obvious ways. And uh, that's that sometimes people will just literally dominate conversations and give very little consideration to others who may also have something to say. You know, I remember uh, one time many years ago, I was in a different church, this was before I became a pastor, and uh, it was a Wednesday night service, and at the end of the service, me and a friend of mine were in the sanctuary talking about the content of the sermon that we had just heard and just discussing some points about it. And another gentleman across the room overheard us talking and just ran up to us and just literally barged into the conversation and just dominated our conversation from that point forward with his insights. Okay, now I'm sure that he had some good insights, but in this case, they were not being offered with any kind of concern for us. That's the way it appeared to us anyway. It seemed like that he just wanted to show off his Bible knowledge. Okay, he was acting like a Pharisee at that moment. You know, his Bible knowledge was offered, again, as it appeared to us, to build himself up in our eyes, not because he was concerned about us or wanted to help to refine our understanding of spiritual things. Do you see the difference there? Okay. See, the book of Ephesians tells us to not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for others, that it may benefit those who hear. That should be our goal, to benefit those who hear. Okay. So in that man's case... The information that was being shared was probably good, but with the wrong motive, you see. See, love and concern for others is, is what must be at the heart of what we say and do, not for the sake of admiration. You see, true humility, folks, true humility doesn't mind letting others shine while it sits in the shadows. True humility doesn't mind letting others talk while it stays silent. Amen. True humility doesn't demand to be heard or seen, but is meek. 
Now let's revisit that word meekness for a moment. Meekness means quiet, gentle, and submissive. And folks, Jesus said it's the meek who will inherit the earth. The meek will inherit the earth. See, meekness doesn't demand the attention of others either by how one dresses or how one carries oneself or with how one converses. In fact, let me give you a, a great quality of great conversationalists. Are you ready? Great, a great quality of wonderful conversationalists is this. Ask questions. Be interested in others. It's really simple. Draw them out by showing interest in them, not by trying to command attention by talking about yourself and your own interests all the time and exclusively. Boy, it's really quiet in here at the moment. I'm not sure that we have a huge problem with some of these things, but I think we could do better. And I think always, you know, we always need to make some adjustments on the steering wheel sometimes, even if we're not like veering terribly off course, just a little adjustment on the steering wheel sometimes to help us refine our witness for Christ is always a good idea, right? You always want to shine a good light upon the Lord that we profess, okay? So ask questions, be interested in others, draw them out by showing interest in them, not by trying to command the attention of others by talking only about yourself and only about your own interests. See, if you want to be a royal bore, then just talk about your own interests and your own self incessantly. See, <laughs> if you want to be a person who other people are interested in, well, then learn to talk about what interests the other person as well. And the only way to do that is to ask questions. Are, are we getting anywhere this morning? Okay. And just by doing that, folks, just by doing that, it will often lead to very enriching spiritual conversations just by asking questions. But even if it doesn't, even if the conversation remains light, just showing a little interest in other people is very endearing. It's very endearing. And since everything revolves around, I should say, everything in the kingdom revolves around sowing and reaping, let me give you a very important spiritual principle right here, okay? When you focus only on yourself, you will remain empty and insecure. I'm going to say that again. When you focus only on yourself, that's selfishness, okay? And according to the laws of sowing and reaping, you will remain empty and insecure. However... If you turn your attention outward to the needs of others, your own soul gets fed and you become more secure over time. So that's how to become either a stronger person or a weaker person, depending on how you conduct yourself along those lines. Uh, you know, I remember uh, several years ago, I was in Indianapolis and I was going to stop off to get my hair cut. And I stopped off at a barber shop that I've never been to before, and I sat down in the chair of a barber that I'd never met. And he seemed pretty quiet at first, and uh, so I just began to ask him a few questions. Hey, how's your day going? How's business today? Um, how long has this barber shop been here? I've never seen it before. And uh, I discovered that he was a rather talkative person, although it didn't seem like it at first. He just needed a green light, and I gave him that green light. 
And once I gave him that, boy, he really started to open up to me, really started to warm up. And then I asked about his family. And then I, it, I came to discover that he had a very strained relationship with his son, and they were estranged. And this really hurt his heart. And he just began to gush about his son. I don't mean he got emotional, but man, he really began to talk about that situation because you could tell he was in pain. And he, as he went on and on, all of a sudden he stopped himself and he said, wow, it's like you're my therapist or something. <laughs> and yeah, that, that was very therapeutic for him to talk like that because guess why? Because he finally found someone who showed some interest in him. He finally found someone who seemed to be interested in his family and interested to hear about something that was heavy on his heart at that moment. And I didn't even offer that many insights for him. I gave one or two insights, one or two little points of guidance, but not much. Mostly I just listened to him. And that was very, very therapeutic for him. So remember I told you last week that when Jesus ministered to the woman at the well, he told his disciples that he had food that they knew not of. You remember that? What was he talking about? He was talking about his own soul getting fed by ministering to that woman. It fed his soul. It gave him joy. And when we can forget about ourselves long enough to minister to the needs of others like that, then our own souls also get fed. And folks, sometimes ministering to the needs of others is nothing more than just listening. It's as easy as that. See, you might get worn out sometimes by hearing people drone on and on about themselves. However, there is a reward to that when we humble ourselves enough to minister to someone else's emotional needs, just like I did with that barber. Really, really minister to that man just to find somebody who showed interest in him and was willing to listen to him. And that's a good reflection on the gospel and the Lord that we say that we serve, by the way. Because you know what? When you get in a conversation like that and, and you listen to people and they're able to gush to you, that's very endearing to them. Then guess what? When it's your time to talk, they're ready to listen. Praise God. Now, let me qualify something, by the way. I'm not saying that if we're personally in distress of some sort, that we shouldn't feel the freedom to go to someone and share our burden and ask for prayer support. You know, that's a very important part right there of the community of believers that we bear each other's burdens. So I'm not suggesting that we shouldn't do that, so don't get me wrong. What I am saying is that unloading on people shouldn't be our regular or frequent practice, but that we each seek to be people who share the load of bearing other people's burdens and being good listeners, not just good talkers. Are you with me? Okay? Making sense? All right. So, with that said, remember last week when we uh, introduced the topic of this series. We talked a lot about pride versus humility, remember? And we said from the scriptures that God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You remember that? God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So if you want to turn things around in your life, if you want to put yourself in, into position to receive greater measures of God's grace and favor, then here's how to do it. Let's end. I'm going to start to come down home stretch here. 
with this sage wisdom on how to conduct oneself and put yourself in, in position to be honored by God. So John the Baptist said, as recorded in John 3.30, he must increase, referring to Jesus, he must increase, but I must decrease. Well, let me give you a little bit of context on that. So when Jesus started his earthly ministry, all the people, the masses of people that were once following John's ministry, now ran over to Jesus. And the disciples of John came to him and they said, Sir, everyone is running over to him. And that's when John said, He must increase, but I must decrease. You see, John uh, knew what his place was. He knew that he was simply a forerunner to Jesus. And when Jesus began that earthly ministry, he knew that his time had come to now decrease in order for all the attention, the spotlight, to now go to Jesus. So he was humble. He didn't try to promote his own thing and grow his own ministry. Uh, he, he knew that, look, I've, I've, I know my place. And the time has come for me to decrease and him to increase. And here's what Jesus said about John the Baptist, as recorded in Luke 7, 28. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. You see, that humility that John exhibited caused him to be honored by God in the sight of the people. And that's a principle, by the way, that we find in 1 Samuel 2.30, where God said, those who honor me, I will honor. But those who despise me will be disdained. Meaning that those who refuse to obey me, they're not honoring me. Those who stiff arm me, those who won't do what I say, they're not honoring me. They're exalting themselves. So those people will be disdained, but those who honor me, those who humble themselves before me, are willing to take my instruction and do what I say. I will honor those people. Praise God. So that leads us to our closing key concept today, kind of swinging back around to our master text with the comparison of the Pharisee and the tax collector in that picture there. See, to honor oneself will lead to demotion in God's kingdom, but to lower oneself and to honor God will lead to promotion. In fact, I want to say this in closing. Please hear me very, very carefully. To continue to honor yourself, as in never actually submitting to God at all, will lead to eternal damnation. I just have to preach both sides here. See, it's only those who are humble enough to beat their breast like that tax collector and say, be merciful to me, Lord, a sinner, who are ever going to experience the grace and mercy of God. You can't get there by the strength of your own merits. When you recognize your own sinfulness, you come before the Lord and you say, be merciful to me, Lord, a sinner. Those are the ones who are going to experience the grace and mercy of God. So if you've never done that, I want to implore you this morning. Cry out to God and seek his forgiveness, please. And if you're truly humble and repentant before him, then like that tax collector who lived his life so selfishly, you'll go away and today could even be that day 
you'll go away justified before God. I want to remind you, you can check all the religious boxes and, and do all the religious things and still be bound for hell like that Pharisee was. Pharisee was, a, was an elite religious leader. But God said that it was a tax collector, not him, that went away justified that day. As a matter of fact, I want to end this thought and then we're going to pray. Jesus once said to the Pharisees, he was very hard on the Pharisees because of their hypocrisy. And he said, the tax collectors and prostitutes are getting into the kingdom before you. Why? Because the tax collectors and prostitutes who knew how sinful they were and came to God in repentance, recognized their sinfulness and were willing to admit it, were getting in ahead of the Pharisees because the Pharisees were self-righteous who congratulated themselves because I'm a pretty good person. I would never hurt anybody kind of attitude. And they didn't see their need for God's mercy. Folks, that's, that's the gospel encompassed right there. We must see our need for the grace and mercy of God to experience it. And even as Christians, we need to always guard against pride in our lives and seek to walk humbly before God and before people. Would you stand with me for a moment? You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Pastor Andy Robbins and Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.